Welcome to the Theology in Practice podcast, a podcast that takes theology and applies it to the everyday life. I'm your host, Anthony Kidd, and I want to thank you for joining me in this week's discussion. Welcome back to the Theology and Practice podcast as we continue our study through the book of John. This week we're tackling John the Baptist and his witness from John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. The big idea is the testimony of John the Baptist serves as an example of how Christians should view themselves. John the Baptist is confident in who he is not. Therefore, John the Baptist can be sure in who he is because of Christ. There are many culturally popular stories today that depict a Savior-like character laying down his life to save a people, a cause, or just the world in general. In his novel The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis paints a very similar story, but Lewis's story is much more analogous to the gospel story. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Pevensey children, according to Narnian prophecy, are the ones who serve as the precursor for the return of Aslan. John the Baptist serves a very similar purpose to announce the coming of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's John chapter 1, verse 29. The Old Testament is filled with prophecies that tell of a Messiah who is going to come and restore Israel. This is what kept religious leaders always on the lookout for the Messiah. In Malachi 4-5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Luke attributes this exact quote to John the Baptist, that's Luke 117. This is why the religious leaders had no choice but to make sure that they correctly vetted John the Baptist. Remember, we have already learned about John the Baptist in verses 6 through 8 of chapter 1. There we are told that John the Baptist is not the light, but comes to bear witness about the light. So when the delegation comes to interrogate John the Baptist, the first question that they ask him is, Who are you? And this is just the beginning of their interrogation. The people of this day, especially religious leaders, were expecting a Messiah to liberate them from foreign rulers. By merely asking the question, who are you, they naturally believed that John was the Messiah. This makes John's answer even more exciting. His first response to them is, I am not the Christ. When someone asks you who you are, the typical response is to summarize who you are and not say who you are not. It seems counterproductive to say that you are not rather than what you are. This will serve a purpose to a deeper reality later on. John has established that he is not the Christ. The next question from the leaders is, what then? Are you Elijah? Since the synoptics make the connection between Elijah and John the Baptist, that's Matthew 11:14, 17:10-13, and Luke 1:17, this doesn't seem like too much of a stretch to ask about John the Baptist. As mentioned earlier, the Luke verse is a direct reference to Malachi 4:5. They have assumed that he was Elijah because of the way Elijah is described in 2 Kings 1:8 where it says that Elijah wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. This is almost identical to the way that John the Baptist is described in Matthew 3, 4. Here, the point remains that John the Baptist was not literally Elijah, but very much Elijah-like in his persona. After denying that he is Elijah, they ask him if he is the prophet. They didn't ask him if he was a prophet, but rather the prophet. 
This is more than likely drawing from Deuteronomy 18.15. In this verse, the prophet referred to is the person of Christ. So asking if John was the Messiah and then asking if John was the prophet is a redundant question. They should have linked that the prophet was the Messiah. This is precisely why Peter in Acts 3 and Stephen in Acts 7 spoke against the religious leaders of their day. They not only missed who the Messiah was, but because they missed who he was, they also killed the Messiah. The Old Testament is full of prophets that were used as a mouthpiece of God to the nation of Israel. Jesus was the prophet that came to suffer the penalty for sin, though he knew no sin and take the wrath of God in our place. John the Baptist indicates that he is neither Elijah, although he is very Elijah-like, nor is he the prophet. At this point, you can begin to sense the frustration coming from his inquisitors. When someone fails to answer your question with the information that you need to obtain, the natural thing to do is repeat the question. That's precisely what this group does. Since they can't get an answer, they ask him again, Who are you? We need to give an answer to the ones who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They have clarified that they want to know about him this time around. John the Baptist responds by citing Isaiah 43, when he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. With this claim, John the Baptist clearly defines his role and function in the story. In essence, John is saying he is not the Messiah, but has a clear directive from God to call people to repentance and to prepare the way for the Messiah to come behind him. This fuller explanation is what prompts the follow-up question. Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? The question arises from an expectation of the Messiah to be the one who baptizes for the purpose of cleansing. In Zechariah 13.1, it speaks of a fountain that will open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse themselves from sin and uncleanness. This shows their fundamental misunderstanding of what baptism symbolizes. A second aspect is the authority John the Baptist is claiming in baptism. Baptism wasn't unknown in that day, and some Jewish groups practiced a proselyte baptism. But the proselyte would typically baptize themselves. Thus, John was claiming to have authority from somewhere to baptize these individuals. John the Baptist recognizes this and answers them accordingly when he says that he only baptizes with water. That signified a physical cleansing. This wasn't a full cleansing from sin and uncleanness. John the Baptist points to the one who will come after him, who is greater than him. Jesus, the one that comes after John the Baptist, will baptize with more than water, and thus offer more than just a physical cleansing. Jesus will offer a baptism that is meant to cleanse from sin and unrighteousness, as stated in Zechariah 13.1. John the Baptist also gives preference to the one who will come after him with this fuller baptism. His humility is on display when he says that he is not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. This analogy would have been familiar with the Jewish leaders and the culture of that day. In that day, slaves were expected to serve at their owner's call. This included washing their feet after returning from a journey. The job was considered the lowest of the low because washing someone's feet was often a disgusting job. Think of walking around in mud and feces and general dirt and grime for the majority of the day. That is what it meant to clean people's feet back in that day. There was a similar expectation in the rabbi and disciple relationship. 
This is why the delegation is coming to question John. The rabbis wanted to know who this guy was, and they asked their disciples to go find out. The one task the disciple was not expected to do was to wash the feet of a rabbi. That was reserved for slaves. John the Baptist tells the delegation that he is not even worthy to untie the sandals, thereby reducing himself to a status lower than a slave. John the Baptist makes himself nothing in comparison to Christ the Messiah, for whom he is preparing the way. That type of humility is one that Christians should recognize and seek to emulate in their daily lives. I want to thank you for joining me for Theology and Practice. Our prayer is that God's Word would penetrate into your heart and continue you on your journey of sanctification as you seek to be more like Christ.